I'm losing my I'm losing my my dictions. Get your dictions back in your mouth. Scotch Hey everybody, welcome to episode 36 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the Webbles programmer. And I'm Sam, and I make art. And today is January 26th? I don't know what year it is anymore. <laughs> 2016? What year is uh, it? Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There might be profanity. Might be. Innuendos. There's gonna be shitloads of profanity this time. Uh, so if you got a if you got a beef or a ham with that, then get away right now. Yeah, but if you got a turkey with it, I'm pretty sure you should continue listening. Turkey is delicious. You gotta, so that's if you got fine. a turkey, you're gonna want to baste it and then brine it for at least 24 hours before you deep fry it. Well, yeah, yeah but so then you'll... you're gonna want to put a a chicken inside of it, and then you're gonna want to put a ring on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. As as the saying goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened this week, you guys? Uh, so this is the post-launch podcast, really, I guess, right? Yeah, that's uh, right. We still got a few days left on various feature spots and stuff, but we launched Crashlands on Thursday of last week. Weed. And it's been crazy. We're all very tired. Yeah, and before we get into the, you know... The, the meat, grit. The gritty. The, before we get into the bowl of grits mm. about what happened with the Crashlands launch, uh, I... I think it would be very important for us to take a moment to just say thank you to everybody who was involved in in making this game happen. Yeah. Uh, in particular, our spouses mm-hmm. who supported us for two friggin' years while Without we made this them, thing. There would be no Crashlands. Um, you know they 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 believed in us, and uh, even though they saw the backs of our heads more often than the fronts. Also known as faces. Uh, it depends was, on which still, side of your head your face is. You've got a, <laughs> you have a beautiful front of head. They uh, <laughs> they they still stuck with us through it, and uh, and we just have to thank them for that. And uh, they brought and home the bacon the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also our one hundred and like eighty testers, uh, yeah. which did a phenomenal job. They they found twenty five single spaced pages worth of bugs. So even though there are some bugs in the game uh, post-launch, just imagine had we not <laughs> tested it. Uh, also, uh, yeah. the people at uh, at Apple and Google and and Valve who you know saw fit to to pick out Crashlands for those feature spots on the stores. Um, that's that's really what launch day comes down to. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for those, then it would have been a flop. My God, nothing would have happened. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, last but not least, everybody who's playing the game, you know, thank you guys so much for you know taking the chance to to throw down some cash on our first what we would consider our first le- legit pay up front game. Uh, I know we kind of are bucking the trend in the mobile market by not making a, a free game that uh, slaps slaps you in the face with ads all the time and steals money from your wallet while you're sleeping. But that's our next game. Money. That's our, that's our next game. But um, but yeah, just, you know, th- thank you all for for ponying up the, the fiver. Yeah. And I, the I do want to say uh, also on top of that, you guys have been been great for also directing some increased review coverage and stuff. We asked people to tweet at Total Biscuit, for example, and IGN um, to get them basically to pay attention to Crashlands and to cover it. And uh, it's been really surreal because Total Biscuit, which for those of you who don't know, who does a a series called What the Fuck Is, and then he does basically like a 40-minute sort of... It's like a combination design, deep dive, and critique of a game. Um, we really want to get one of those for Crashlands, and so he actually... He basically tweeted out that he had been playing it. And we were like, what? And Which then the is the first step. <laughs> yeah, and then the president of Gearbox... Of the United States? Oh, no. Okay, no, sorry. just Gearbox. Uh, close enough for us. Um, tweeted about it as well, so that was really cool. And Rami, who's the guy who runs Vlambeer, which makes Nuclear Throne and Ridiculous Fishing, so... We have we've had a good a good sort of splash on that, and I also wanted to say thanks to all of our all of our uh, reviewers, the Twitch streamers, the YouTubers, uh, the guys at Twitch Arcade for writing the, the glowing article there, and also for their forums just existing. because we've had some fun contact with a, yeah. a lot of iOS players through their forums. So and thanks to everybody and our moderators yeah. who are currently of our forums and our subreddit who are currently just being just buried in <laughs> in i mean we so this is this is something that we didn't really anticipate because our previous games 
have all been small enough that people didn't really feel the need to like jump into forums and subreddits and ask questions. They just kind of just played them. Um, Crashlands is so huge and there's so many little kind of nooks and crannies that people can get lost in that people are taking to the forums and to the subreddit and, and, you know, sharing pictures of their bases and asking questions about quests and uh, just sharing suggestions and ideas on cool stuff that they want to see in the game. And, it's awesome, uh, but we were, were completely unprepared for it. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, well, it also, it kind of, it goes against the, especially in the forums. The point of the forums is a place for people who are into Butterscotch games to come together and just talk about life and stuff. And now it's turned into basically a support system, which is, which is, yeah, which is yeah. much less good uh, of a, of a thing for it to be. Um, yeah, so, but I mean, as, as yeah. we get this first bug fix patch out, you know, that'll, that'll, fall away a little bit but yeah we have like a uh, twitter we have the steam discussion forums we have the game forums we have the subreddit and we have a discord chat server so we have five different places where people are going to you know throw uh, bug reports and just like how pumped they are about stuff you know a- anything um and so we're trying to come up with a better system to sort of funnel people into the right channels for their yeah the, their the, main, the main problem we're facing is that when somebody wants help, they don't look for an answer or the right channel. They just pick the first channel they see, go into it, and start asking for help. Uh, so that's really that's that's the that's the situation we're yeah, in trying it's to, tricky. How to get around. And uh, and seriously, <laughs> last one for real, uh, Yo-Yo Games. Thank yeah. thank you to Yo-Yo Games, the make the creators of Game Maker. That's the engine that we used to make Crashlands. Mm-hmm. Um, they make an incredible product. If you're interested in getting into 2D game development. Uh, it's just game makers, just the way to go. And they've also been really, really helpful on the launch. There were a couple sort of bumps when we launched the game uh, <laughs> on couple. steam. Yeah. And, uh, and they've been very responsive in, in helping us figure out what the fixes would be for that and, and getting that taken care of. So uh, those guys are awesome. Okay. Fact. So let's, let's, let's uh, actually get talking about the launch. What happened? Uh, uh, (laughs) we've been in a time warp it's like a bullet time well so we hit the button for uh both android and ios on wednesday night right so the stores both those stores they turn over around 2 p.m uh on thursday afternoons and so you have to have your game out for a while beforehand to make sure it's fully propagated before you get a feature spot so we always do that around 11 p.m uh which we did i think at 10 just to Mm -hmm. because we were very excited um and we hit that and then basically watched things to make sure nothing was broken. Nothing was broken. So we went to bed, slept for, I believe, each of us about three or four hours. Uh, mm-hmm. Got back up at, at six and then launched on Steam at seven o'clock. In and, the morning. Yeah, right in the morning. And uh, from then on, it was just sort of, it was this waiting game to see what reviews would come in, what uh, what the stores would actually do, because you're not guaranteed any of the stuff. So no one lets you know, like, hey, we're going to feature your stuff. Um they tend to be like you're you're being considered for a feature is essentially how they how they phrase it. So we were very antsy because it could be great, it could be terrible. Um, but we had just had this big list of this sort of wish list of all the stuff that we had had we had put all the gears in motion to allow it to happen if other people would sort of play ball with us. And well, I also want to say too that doing this triple simultaneous launch uh, was uh, was a risky move. Mm-hmm. In, in a lot of ways, we we talked to various publishers and stuff before we, you know, just decided to say no. We'll just do it ourselves. Um, and every single one of them told us that launching on three platforms at once was a, was a, just an awful idea. So, what was their reasoning, though, Seth? It's good. Um, the reasoning was basically well, there there were a couple reasons. One is if you launch on PC first, then people will perceive the game is having a higher value. They'll perceive it as being a PC game. And then when you, you know, move it over, when you release it on mobile later, um, then the game is viewed as like having that, that like higher integrity of a PC game. Mm-hmm. Um, another was like to extend the life cycle of the game. So, you know, games do have a fairly short life cycle. You know, you'll, you'll still get sort of a trickle of, of income from them after, after a couple of years even. Uh, but compared to that, you know, that launch period, it's just, 
you know, it's so, not, it's not really comparable. In fact, yeah. Um, and so, so the idea is basically by continually releasing new versions of the game, say every like six months, like start on PC, then, you know, go to Android, then go to iOS or something, uh, or the other way around for most people. Uh, then I guess each time you do that, you get another sort of like spike in interest and in news talking about the game and, and that kind of thing. Um, so we didn't listen to those. Uh, what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> why we? <laughs> well, I mean, part of the big reason is that we were trying to angle our studio into being a being basically the cross-platform studio where the games we make don't uh, they don't just just belong to uh, PC or to mobile. They are just games that you happen to be able to play on PC and mobile, and that is just a, that's going to be no matter how we do it. That's just going to be a really weird thing because there are no there's no studio right now that's actually trying to angle itself into that particular position because of the risk involved i think um and this is something that we were really worried about going into launch which is that oh you know because we've tried to put ourselves sort of between the two um is it going to be the case orphaned right that you know like a sort of like having to deal with with uh like mixed heritage it's the same sort of thing where it's like who do i belong to Um, well and there was that there was an additional argument which which we heard a lot um which is so it, it is a fact that you can't you can't charge the same amount for a game on on mobile and pc i mean people have tried it uh and resulting in spectacular failure because it's just not it's not possible those those markets are just different they're totally different from each other so prices are suppressed in mobile so you have to charge less if you want to sell anything it's just how it is and so so one of the sort of common uh common wisdom items is that if you launch a game on both platforms at once because you sell it for cheaper on mobile, then people will buy it instead only on mobile, even if, if you, they would have bought it on PC for the higher rate. And therefore, you're sort of cannibalizing your own potential income, and which this, might be true, which but, might be true. But I think it's not. Well, I think it's also be, it's also not true necessarily in our case because of the cross-platform nature of the game, which is that you can play it the same game that your save has been on on both. And so we had... We had a few people, you know, tweet us pictures of their their setups where they had they tweet us a picture of their PC next to an Android tablet and then their phone, their iPhone off in the distance, and all three have crash lanes on them. Right. <laughs> so it's like, right. Because they're like, I want to be able to do it everywhere. That's exactly yeah. The point. And I mean, in our rationale was that uh, you know it, we, what we've basically set up is a, is a way that people can if they if they can afford it and want to they can play crash lands no matter where they are on any interface they prefer when they're at that place, right? So if they're at home and have a laptop or a PC with a nice big screen that they prefer to play games on, they can play Crashlands on it. If they also want to be able to take it to work, they can do that. Yeah, but also think about the idea that if somebody, if $15 is outside of their price range for the Steam version. Yeah, then they still get to buy it. Yeah, they still have a way to get their hands on the game. So Instead of having to wait until they save up enough to buy it on Steam, they can actually just keep on playing the game. And then eventually, if they think they can afford it on Steam and still prefer to play it there, then they can do that. Do that too. On the road, yeah. So I think if you're selling a game that has sort of a, a short memory footprint for the person playing it, meaning they could play it for a few hours and be like, oh, that's enough of that. Then, yeah, it's absolutely true that you're going to cannibalize your sales because somebody will buy it in one place, mm-hmm. play it until they get tired of it, and then why would they buy it somewhere else? Um, but we never believed Crashlands was was that kind of game. We always, we always thought it was something that somebody would play and then just play the crap out of. Um, yeah, but I think the best argument, or sort of the best, uh, how do I put it? The best argument that we got against, or the most hilarious argument we got against doing this, was was basically in a nutshell, uh, nobody does this yeah, because right. be- because it doesn't work. Yeah, but our sort of our intuition sort of fired up, and and especially Adam as the scientist was like, if nobody does this, how, how do, you do we how do we know that it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, it's that uh, is a tautology. Yeah, it's a some kind of I circular think reasoning. Is the right word, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a, a, like a real-life analog would be, you know, nobody finds me attractive, so I don't bother taking showers, you know. Yep. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a statement whose inverse is its own explanation. So, yeah, it doesn't work to launch on multiple platforms because nobody's doing it. Well, nobody's doing it because it doesn't work. Well, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, yeah. So, but I, I, think it, I think it worked out. You yeah, know, for we, us, yeah, and for us, the, the sort of the major rationale otherwise was we just figured if if somebody sees Crashlands and knows that people can play it, 
then they ought to be able to play it. And if they if they can't, then that's actually a problem because that means now they have to wait for it, uh, and maybe they'll forget about it by that time. Maybe the hype will die down. I mean, right. You know, who, also, I mean, who knows what'll happen after going through uh, through this launch? I mean, launches are extremely taxing. On yeah, us. why do it a bunch of times? I well, yeah, like, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's sign up to repeat last week two more times in the next two months. Like, no. Yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting. But but good yeah. God, like I need I need a nap, I need a massage, I need to play some games. You know, <laughs> yeah. like we're all just wiped over here, and we haven't gotten to do any of that stuff yet because we're still working on the emergency bug patch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, guess I can tell you later. right now, my dream scenario is just laying in my bed, staring at the ceiling for twelve hours. That's <laughs> yeah. my like. That's what I. That's what I want to be doing right oh, now. Yeah. And every, I mean, every time we've gone out to eat for the past couple of days, all of us just sit there and silently chew our food and stare blankly. Like it's the, it's the one moment where we don't have to be thinking, so right. we just stop doing it. And I mean, so. Di- poor Diana, my, my fiance was asking me questions about some other stuff we got going on. It was like friends coming over or, or dinner <laughs> stuff. And I was like, yeah, I, can't, I can't answer any questions. And she was like, what? <laughs> You're just going to be a passenger in life for and the I was next like, week. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, I just need, I was like, just write them down. I'll get to them later. <laughs> I'll, pencil, I'll pencil you in, fiance. <laughs> so it's weird. Yeah. Um, but as far as I think, as far as uh, you know, the question of expectations, what were our expectations, and and did they get met? Um, I think I think yeah. I mean, I think yeah, they did get met. Uh, but we don't really have very high expectations, so it's not too hard to do. Um, well, I'll, I'll put it this way though. I, I think we have we have high goals, but our expectation was that nothing would happen. Yes, uh, because for almost every game that hits the market, that's exactly what happens, right? Yeah. So. Uh, but on the flip side, I think it this launch feels it feels less exciting than previous launches because we planned it for so long. You yeah, know, like yeah. things are happening exactly as we tried to get them to happen. It wasn't a surprise what happened. Um, yeah, we were glad that all the things happened as we wanted. Yeah, uh, and I, I think a good way to think about it is it wouldn't have been surprising if nothing happened at all. But it also wouldn't really have been surprising if something did happen. Uh because either one was equally likely, really. I don't, uh, I wouldn't say that even a little well, bit. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, all with, right, fine. With, with all the pre the pre launch hype we had, and I mean, and yeah, and it was primarily you know focused around uh, people who knew about our previous games. And the audience isn't that huge, and and so on. Um, it would have been super surprising if nothing happened. Yeah, that would uh, be weird. I mean, well, there, yeah, there were a lot of ways that would be surprising. But there were a lot of ways it could have well. like gone pretty poorly i guess the way the way i would think about it is you is that you think about like training for the olympics or something so say you you got like the best coach and you're training for like two years and you know what it takes you know sort of like you have a vague idea of what the recipe is to actually do this yeah so you do everything right yeah so we just that's what we tried that was our goal so okay we hit all these things that we know exist that previously for all of our previous launches we had no idea that they were rules or that this was a thing we could do whatever else and we just listed all of them out and then just tackled each one of them one by one, including designing a game that was you know, is designed specifically to be able to to both reach across platforms as well as to just be like a lovable, playable experience for anyone. And yes, I think but just so, like in the Olympics, once you actually get to you, then you have you have exactly one moment to go take those years of work. And prove to the world that you're the best. And if you've got a cold that day, if you misstep off of the block, mm-hmm. if you dive a little funny and your goggles fly off, you know, like there, there's a thousand little random things that can happen that that can then range in their effects from a complete disaster to a slight slowdown to actually being a surprising benefit. Like maybe yep. maybe you lose your swimming trunks and now your nudeness lets you swim faster. Boom. Mm-hmm. You know? Smooth or you have a lot zip. of extra drag because of your because of your jibblies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah d- depends but on yeah, who you but, are. But I think it is it is important to to remember that you know for every for every person who you know the, who you see at the Olympics, there were a thousand people who, who didn't did together. have those experiences on the way, you know, and didn't didn't get to the end. Right. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there there are a lot of things that could have gone wrong. I think it went about as well as we could have hoped. So so the yeah, the so. sort of end results were. Uh, we got editor's choice in the United States for iPad 
mm-hmm. which is cool. We've never gotten that uh, that honor before. Uh, we were also featured on iPhone. We did not get editor's choice, but uh, we were featured there. Well, I want to say and, something funny about this because we so the documentary crew is here filming on launch night slash oh, yeah. day, and so if you watch the film, I'm sure they're going to cut it in there, which is that we were waiting for the iStore to turn over the App Store, and we were actually super disappointed when we when we reloaded it and the page turned up and we didn't see crash lands there and the banners until we rotated like four banners to the left and there there it was and we were like oh okay well you know we got i guess maybe we got a feature so that's fine but and it we was were the, like yeah, the, first we were the number two in the top new game yeah so we we're like okay you know it's, it's okay um it's good i guess uh not what we were hoping it's for, actually but great it's, but it's still yeah. great it's but good, it was but we've what we been we've been burned before by by feature spots where we got a feature on the front page, uh, but because we were in a position where the the user had to scroll in one direction or something to get yeah. to the game, the effect uh, was like just ten x less powerful than right. it was. So yeah. that's that's what we were like, oh man. So that's that's the part that was actually captured on film. But was more hilarious is that then about two hours later we get a text from uh, Graphite Labs, some of our, one of our dev studio buddies here in St. Louis. And uh, the head of the studio is like, dude, you guys are you guys are featured on the iPad. And we're like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you're, you're editor's choice first banner on the iPad. He's like, that's the best spot to get. And we didn't know that there's actually, because none of us use iDevices. So we didn't know there's two <laughs> stores. We didn't know there's a different store. <laughs> there's two stores. And we're like, oh, shit. Well, all we've been able to, all we've been able to uh, afford in terms of, you know, devices for testing has been these like old iPod touch fifth generation devices. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was our point of reference for what was on the app store. So pretty funny. Whoops. Uh, we also, yeah. So we also got a, uh, like we got a pretty decent feature spot on Google Play. It's it's in the the I think well, I mean, the new and updated yeah. category. It's decent um, in that uh, we are in the feature the list of featured games. Yeah, but you do need to scroll. I think we are listed at the number five or six spots. So you have yeah, to scroll you over scroll to, to get there. So most get people will. So, um, but still, despite that, I think maybe just because of all the the hype that we've been building and and all the buzz and the fact that it's on the iPad and it's you know everywhere else. Um, we were getting a lot of search traffic for it, which pushed the game up to the number one uh, top new paid apps spot. It's amazing. And it's also at the number three spot just for top paid apps in general, which is behind Minecraft and a, what, a racing Some game. EA game, yeah. Uh, so that's cool. Both of which Although, I think actually have in-app purchases. So there's no way we're going to step in front of them. Um, I don't think Minecraft does. It does. Oh, well, Minecraft is in-app purchases. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they are, but they have some. It says <laughs> it says on it has it purchase. So they're they're able to make more money off of any given player than we are. So uh, and speaking stuck. of Minecraft, yeah. Minecraft is also in our way on uh, the the iTunes App Store. It is uh, we're we're the number two spot now for for top paid apps, and Minecraft is number one. So, yeah. eh. We're working on it. Nip it I don't nip think it we'll be unseating I, them. I, I, but. Don't th- I don't th- I mean, I think they have something on the order of like 50 million sales. Hey man, yeah, something on the order of infinite money. Not dollars, actual sales. <laughs> right. So um, pr- probably not good, Not likely. No. Yeah. Uh, one of the other fun things we've been looking at are uh, we had a bunch of reviews come in from all over on, on mobile as well as actually a bunch on, on PC, which we're very excited about. Uh, since we haven't gotten anything on PC ever before. So that was nice. We got PC Gamer uh, and a couple other bigger sites like Kotaku. And our Metacritic score actually on mobile is currently sitting at 99. Yeah, uh, it was 100. It was 100. Pocket Gamer. Pocket, Pocket Gamer, gamer came along <laughs> and they were like, this game's great, 9 out of 10. So, <laughs> yeah. so they messed up our, our perfect score, but that's okay. You know, that's okay. We kind of knew that was going to happen, though. We did. Wait, yeah. We were like, we were betting on it. Yeah, we were, bet- we were betting that Pocket Gamer would be the one. That would uh, knock. It. I don't. I don't know why. Just something about it. Just, <laughs> just felt like it was gonna happen. <laughs> um, and also, somebody has pirated a copy of the game and uploaded it onto Amazon for five dollars. So, so go ahead if, and you know go get if it. If you there, bought that, if you bought that, you might want to ask for a refund because it will soon uh, be taken away from you anyway. Yeah, and you um, don't want to boot it up because who knows what the fuck has been done to it. And also, as we update the game on other platforms, that version will become out of date and it will break. Yeah, it literally it won't let you play anymore. Um, so that'll be that'll be bad. 
Um, and yeah, otherwise, I think the last kind of thing to hit on that's been really interesting. Well, there's a couple things, uh, but one of them has been every now and then we'll get a a sort of a comment on a you know, like a Reddit thread or or something where somebody will say one of two things. One is this trailer is not funny. I did not even crack a smile. That's one thing they'll say. Uh, the other thing they'll say is this game looks like it's made for children, not interested. So, what do you guys think about that? I think uh, you know. Fuck them. If you got, <laughs> if you have <laughs> such such a black hole of joy in your heart that you can't crack a smile at something that doofy. Yeah, we don't want you playing our games. Go I mean, away. Yeah, go well, I think, back I, to I the think, hell I think you crawled uh, out of. It's a trap that a lot of a lot of game developers may fall into because like if if you make something like if you you know pour your heart and soul into something and you put it up on the internet and some people like it there's still going to be a large group of people who just hate it even right? if it's a small fraction it's yeah even be a even large if it's one percent you know it, it doesn't matter um, and it's really hard not to you know take that to heart I guess where like oh, you I don't made have a thing with it anymore. Fuck not anymore. I, I think we're kind of accustomed <laughs> to it, but I, but I think when you're first getting started, it can be really like upsetting oh, yeah. um, because you you really tried hard. You made a thing that you're proud of, and somebody comes in there's like, you know, fuck this thing you made. Yeah, and actually, uh, uh, I think it was Eli Hodap from Touch Arcade had this mm-hmm. hilarious tweet where he said, "I have a new hobby, which is going to Reddit and seeing how far and where somebody has made a, like a cool thing that they're really proud of." And seeing how far down I have to scroll before somebody just like shits on it. And the first reply to that was, oh, so you just read the top comment, <laughs> uh, which is true. Like there was a there was a, a post of somebody like, hey, check out this carrot cake I made. And it was just amazing. Like it just looked incredible. And the top comment was, that's eh, probably one of those cakes that looks cool, but tastes like shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, like what the dude. fuck? <laughs> and then there was like 900 replies to that of people being like, yeah, fuck this cake. You know, <laughs> what? Um, what are you guys doing? Get uh, go oh away. My God. Yeah. But, I, but yeah, I think, you know, it's you, if you make something, you have to just be aware that the thing you made isn't for everyone. Yeah. And the people who it is for, those are the ones that you those should are care your, about. Yeah, those are your people. So when somebody comes in and says, this game is for children, you know, I'm not going to play. It's like, good. Just go away. We don't want you touching anything we make. <laughs> I guess I because think, you're just going to be mad the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I think about it kind of like, uh, so I, I talked to some of my friends about this because some of my friends are more uh, sort of private. or don't, don't necessarily share stories just, you know, out of the blue. Um I had this interesting discussion with them where, where I was like, you know, why why is it the case that you don't necessarily just give people stories about you know where you've been, what your life's been like, that sort of thing? And uh, the interesting response is something something along the lines of of not wanting to basically be judged, right? So trying to kind of keep a privatized or sort of uh, quiet sphere so as to not cause any problems and also uh, not risk anything, which I think is really interesting because. Because I use storytelling in conversation, the same sort of idea of this, where we put a bunch of uh, we put a bunch of character and a bunch of ourselves into the trailer, for example, of this game. As well, literally, as it's your it's your voice. Yeah, I mean, literally. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and it's our humor. It's the kind of stuff that we find entertaining. You know? Right. And so, yes, that is that means it's guaranteed to be very off putting to some people because it has a very strong sense to it. But. Uh, that's totally fine because the purpose of it, as as well as like storytelling in a social context, in my mind has always been actually as like a feed forward mechanism for selecting people. So, for yeah, example, it's a, it's a filter. It's yeah, a filter. So, yeah. So it's actually designed down, to filter people out. Yeah. So if I sit down with someone new and I freely within like three minutes of talking to them, uh, you know, let them know about the cancer stuff and they have like a poor reaction to that, you know, then I'm. That's great because I don't have to waste any more time with that. Yeah, you don't have to talk to that. I can move on. And so, it's like if somebody says something racist or homophobic, right, or whatever, then you're like, okay, I don't need to talk to this person anymore, right? It just sort of it allows you to spend your time focusing on the people who aren't jackasses, right? And the only way, like, to not offend people is just to sort of you know quiet that that self. But then you're letting everybody else be in control, which is dumb. You know? Yeah, it's better to get those short moments of being uncomfortable, followed by long periods of actually being surrounded by people who care about you mm-hmm. yeah. and want to be around you instead of people who have no idea who you are 
but are just around right. all the time. Well, I think a lot yeah. of it too is that is that people feel like they need to convince people that that their shitty ideas are shitty and stuff. And, and I mean, I definitely used to be, I mean, I was in that camp for 25 damn years. And then at some point also, I was like, why am I wasting my time on this? You know, yep. there's just no reason for it. Uh, you might as well just go enjoy the, the limited time you have with the subset of people who are just the people that you want to be around. Because surprise, you're going to die someday. And if you spend yeah. any of that time complaining <laughs> about someone else's accomplishments on the internet, you've wasted you your life. You just <laughs> yeah. lost. Yeah, so in a nutshell, we're going to keep making games that are whimsical and packed full of jokes and look like they're made for children because we want our players to be people who have a sense of joy and happiness (laughs) and whimsy about them. Or who need that in their lives. I think one of our... willing to go get it. One of our reviewers put it best for you. He said, you will love this game unless you're a fun-hating ogre. Yeah, yeah like, in which yes. case that's fine. You know, it's not for you. So yeah, go back to no, your nothing is for you. Just go, <laughs> just go away. Just go fuck yourself. Uh, and then, <laughs> we, and then we've also had a really sort of interesting. I just want to hit on this like, kind of quickly. Um, we've had an interesting back and forth about being sort of being judged by the the PC crowd, the PC press, as in bit. yeah, personal computer, not. Political, political correct. correctness, yeah. <laughs> Although we've um, had some of that too. The the biggest one I think is is sort of it sort of culminated in the PC gamer review, which is sort of you know it's it's kind of what you'd expect is sort of the most the most hardcore of like PC is everything kind of publication, right? So they're going to view everything through the lens of PC versus everything else. Um, but it's really interesting. I, I definitely recommend reading that review because it's very evident that the reviewer decided that this was a mobile game period and then viewed all the mechanics from that context even in ways that made no sense to their detriment yeah and so so one of the more bizarre ones was uh when the the reviewer said uh, you know this this game isn't really fun on pc because it was clearly designed for mobile pacing because uh, because you know it's an rpg and i'm replacing my my gear about every hour and that's that's clearly more engineered toward mobile gamers. Which we, uh, you know, we had a good hearty laugh about. Yeah, so we co- we come from the mobile games industry, and we know that the average mobile gameplay session is two point five minutes, and the average mobile gamer plays for two sessions a day, which means five minutes a day, which means it would take you twelve days of playing to get a gear upgrade on mobile. Like if it if it were a mobile game, right? Um, and then if you play a game like Diablo or something, which is a PC game, you're getting gear upgrades way faster than that. So it was just kind of, it was interesting to see how thinking about the game as a mobile game automatically just created nonsensical arguments. Yeah, well, the other the, big part of this was the, is this whole controller or WASD keyboard movement request. Where, yes, yes. Where again, because everybody just says, oh, this is a mobile game ported to PC. That's why you have to click to do things. Uh, where in fact, you click to do things because that's the best control scheme for this game. And the game was designed around that control scheme. So they, they go hand in hand. And yeah, I mean, we we could design other other mechanisms like a controller or keyboard or whatever, um, and yeah, we would do the best we can to make them work really well, but they inevitably won't work as well because the game is not designed that way. Uh, but it's just going to be people, a worse experience. Yeah. But people took it in the lens of, well, because this is available on mobile, they, they're just being lazy and not putting in these alternate control schemes, uh, because this is just, you know, a port of a, of a mobile game instead of, instead of, cause if, in, and I think Seth, when we were talking about this and made the point that. You know, if someone's playing, say, uh, Diablo or something, which is also just a click, all click to control, mm-hmm. uh, you don't say, oh, this is this is just point and click because you, know, you don't interpret that in some other weird way. You just say like, oh, this is how the game is played. Yeah. Right? I mean, where, where are all the people commenting on, you know, go, jumping into the Diablo subreddit, basically being like, game looks cool, I guess, but clearly not designed for not, mobile. Not playing it until controller support is added. You yeah. Know, you just you don't really see that. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's been interesting. And and I think it's just sort of a symptom of this is our first PC game. It's our first, you know, like bursting onto the PC scene and it's going to take some time to sort of build up that trust yep. with, 
with the with the Steam players that we aren't just like making a mobile game and then slapping it on to Steam. We're we're trying to actually make something that just works on everything. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that we'll make the game play as well as possible on anything we put it on. Well, my favorite quote from the the PC Gamer article that I think really summarizes the whole thing is actually the one that he chose to like make really big in the big fancy text, which says Crashlands is a great game on mobile and or but is only a good game on PC. Which is yeah. just, it's an interesting thing to say because it's the same damn It's case. literally the goddamn it's ex- same. It's exactly the same. And so when you say something <laughs> like that, I guess the, the question is kind of like, what's that, what what does that actually say? Either about the reviewer's lens or about the markets in particular? Because it is true that our, our, our reviews, like we said, on, on mobile, on Metacritic are something like 99 and on PC are, are 81. And so but it's the same game. But it is, it is the same game. And so there's, there's obviously... Uh, I think part of it is that the the mobile crowd is actually starved for uh, basically premium game experiences that are like those on PC, which is probably part of the reason why we essentially have a, if you would call it an inflated score, because relative to a lot of the stuff there, it's a better game, right? Um, People were ready for something like this. Right. But I think on PC, if you're looking at relative to, uh, I think that's why I think his, his point makes sense, which is that relative to other stuff that you could get on PC it makes sense that it only falls into sort of the, the good category. Well, but it just depends on how you're rating. Because so, if your rating is, and, and I think this, this comes down a lot to what your really hardcore, like the, the sort of stereotyped PC gamer cares about, which is mm-hmm. which is graphics and controllers and things, uh, things actually being the same as they are. Because that's a lot of the complaints we get are, oh, I played a lot of RPGs. And this doesn't use RPG mechanics in the exact same way as these other ones I play. Therefore, I'm upset about this, right? Mm-hmm. It's that they they believe that games are supposed to be a certain way. True. And, or, and this, or that there are certain features. And there are there certain, are certain features, features that are required to make it a PC game. Yeah, which we, yeah. because of our inexperience in the PC area, we didn't anticipate some of those. Like, for example, there are some players who have three monitors lined up. And hooked together using a surround system, which gives them a five by one aspect ratio. Right. Uh, the game actually automatically adjusts its aspect ratio to match that of your monitor, but we never thought we about. We weren't prepared for that. We scenario. never thought about. We never thought about somebody having an aspect ratio larger than one point seven seven by one. Yeah. Um, but so that was that was interesting. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there, there are some things we got to work. Yeah, on, we've. But. I think we've we've definitely learned a bunch of stuff for our next uh, our next PC thing, which is basically doing a better job. I mean, in a sense, it's it's almost like a localizing, right? Which it is, is you localization. Gotta, you, yeah, gotta, you, gotta, you have yeah. to speak the language of the platform you're going to, and we did we messed it up a little bit on on mobile this time around as well with with uh, like the settings page, for example. Um, like most mobile games don't have settings pages, and on iPad, for example, when you when you view on the iPad Pro which has an extremely high resolution, um, you can play the game in what we call the turbo-huge uh, aspect ratio on there, which which basically zooms the game out and you can see a lot more stuff and that keeps everything nice and crisp. But it doesn't automatically uh, do that. The game doesn't automatically detect and do that. And as a result, because most mobile games don't go in and mess with the settings first, they just play, uh, we got, we're getting complaints from people with the high-resolution iPad that it looked a little choppy, which it did. But it's interesting because if we watch, whenever we watch a streamer play the game who's always playing on PC on Twitch, the first thing they would do is open the settings menu. Yeah, it's the first thing I do anytime I get any game ever is open yeah. the settings. So yeah. you you're like so you set <laughs> mobile games don't the, have settings menus, right? So. so there's like all these really interesting things, and I think I mean next time I, I think we're gonna knock it out of the park as far as making sure that we basically quote unquote localize into the appropriate uh, things on each platform. Uh, we, I think we definitely missed missed a few things on the PC side. Uh, the mobile users didn't care because it was basically extra. Right. It wasn't like yeah. missing stuff. It was just kind of extra. Um, and I think as well as we were really looking to take the uh, the graphical stuff up a notch for the next yes. one, as far as shaders and effects and a bunch of other cool stuff. I so. will say, though, I, I will absolutely not apologize for streamlining the user interface. Yeah, yeah. that was the yeah, weirdest, the, the, yeah, weirdest the weirdest general one. complaint that we've gotten or that we, we get, get. We got a lot of we got. Well, not a lot. We, we got a few enough that it's odd. We I got think. a few. Uh, comments from hardcore PC gamers basically saying this game sucks because of the fact that like I don't need to switch tools manually I don't control like when my weapon comes out blah, but again blah. it was because they interpreted it as, as mobile mechanics as a mobile mechanic like so, they, so they the thought we did that just so that mobile users could play it and that that's why it was done and then therefore they said it was a bad thing 
Well, yeah, the idea there is that simplification of user interaction makes the game too easy. Yeah. Which, for those of you who played it and have sent us pictures of your graveyards. Yeah, if, if you play you the know. game for more than a few hours, you'll know that it did it gets hard. Yeah, and our take on it is basically, you know, the, the mechanism by which you actually do the thing that you want to do... Um, that's not that's not supposed to be the hard part. The hard part is supposed to be doing the thing, not yeah. not like <laughs> wrestling with a stupid UI or something. Yeah. Um, so we you know I'm not I'm not gonna apologize for that. Uh-uh. Never. Uh, okay, let's get to some let's get to some questions. Normally at this point we would talk about games that we've been playing and sort of do some design discussion on those, but frankly we've barely slept because we've been doing this. We have launch, not been so. playing games, although we should note that. Uh, what is that game called? The Witness. The Witness is coming out today. And one thing that, that I'm very curious about. So we mentioned already that that it's awesome that we've seen as much success as we have. But it's kind of it's just kind of shitty to know that that is necessarily happening at, you know, at the cost to some other game developer somewhere. Um, because we got a feature spot. And so we bumped out some potential person from getting that spot, for example. Yep. And and because there as much as we hate it, because we, 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 we definitely feel like we're kind of all in the same boat with other indie devs and stuff but at the same time we also are necessarily competing with each other and it'll be interesting to see what the witness does because this is a you know this big huge indie game um made by the guy who made braid uh, it's it's being referred to in in some places as a as a triple a indie game yeah it's i mean it, it's a big he spent eight years and millions of dollars building this thing and it and it, there's a so much hype and anticipation around this thing and it comes out today i believe um so one thing that we're, that will be really interesting to see is how the release of that game impacts our success on Steam. Yes. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. And it's something to remember, you know, for you know, for up and coming game devs is that uh, is that you are unfortunately in competition with other people, and when you launch and what else is launching around that time will dramatically impact your. Sort of yeah, the, would, the limit of your success. If I were a forty to sixty dollar game, I would hate to be launching this week. So yeah, like, this would be like if you're if you're <laughs> anything but that game, uh, you would be best best served probably just to hold off and launch later. Yep. Because um, yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be fighting some st- steep competition. Yeah. All right. First question comes from Bo. Oh, I should say these questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. If you want to ask questions for future podcasts and vote on them. Just go there. Just go there and uh, just throw some letters in the box. Yeah. All right. So the first question comes from Bohamptious, which is a sweet name, I have to say. Question is, on average, how many beers does it take before Flop Rocket becomes completely unplayable? I think probably zero for most people. (laughs) But yeah, for most people, it's basically completely (laughs) unplayable by default. Uh, Yeah. But if you're... If you aren't most people, I think it would only take one beer probably because like once you pour that on the phone, yeah, I mean, it's done. The right? So, or if you're holding one, gone you don't forever. Have, you don't have both your hands. So that's going to be. That's yeah. true. So pretty much <laughs> true. zero yeah. to one. I think. Although a lot yeah. of people only play, well, still only play flop rocket, even if they play it a lot. A lot of people will only play it by just tilting the rocket at a 45-ish degree that's angle. True. The very beginning and then just adjusting the throttle. Yeah, but, you know, do you want to run out of fuel? Because that's how you run out of fuel. Uh-huh. Well, that's also how you accelerate uncontrollably until you end up blowing up on something. That is that is also true. Yeah. Uh, okay, next question comes from Kevin888. This question is mostly for Seth, but it can apply to anyone, too. I'm Seth, by the way. How do you keep Hi, focus? Seth. How do you keep focus on what you do, especially when programming? How do you stay interested in the game you are making? Does it ever become a chore for you and not fun anymore? Uh, no, it doesn't, it doesn't become a chore. I think, I think it's a matter of perspective. So like, let's say you are like building a house, right? Um, in order to do that, you need to individually, you know, measure every board and and every every nail and every cut and pound in every nail or use a nail gun, I guess. Um, and test everything and, and it's it's a very long process, and every single individual thing you do, you know, you could think of it as a chore, but it doesn't really matter because you're not just like nailing boards; you're building a house. So I think like just knowing that you're working towards something big, it uh, it just makes all the little pieces 
enjoyable. Well, but also, you know? I mean, you never – I mean, kind of, kind of from the flip side, you never actually make a game. You just program until a game is done. You know, yeah, like, you, you don't just go, I'm going to make it. Well, I guess sometimes you go, I'm just going to make a game today. And then make a <laughs> but, game. but even but, still, what you actually do is is sit down and program nonstop until until a game comes out. So the only way to do it and enjoy it is to actually like programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and enjoy yeah. the work. Yeah so, yeah, it, so it doesn't become a chore. I mean, certainly various periods of time when you're like faced with some nightmare bug or have to do the same thing a jillion times or whatever, like, certain aspects of it can become a chore. Um, but on the whole, you know, like for me, I love programming. Seth loves programming. Um, Sam enjoys it when he does it, but also loves the art that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Well, but here's, so, here's an interesting question, though, hmm. because I, I tried to become a programmer for years. I have piles of, of books to learn how to program. And I never could do it uh, because I just had, I just did not enjoy it at all. And it really, it really wasn't until I got Game Maker and I knew that every line of code that I was writing was going toward producing a game. Like, at, like that line of code was going well, to no, become it's, part of the game. It's not even because it's a game, it's because now the, because coding is solving problems, right? Now the problems are interesting. The problems are interesting because yeah. most problems are boring as fuck, especially with like just like your average programming education course. It's like, I mean, it'll even be I mean, my own experience with with learning programming in any kind of official capacity. They're like they're like teaching you how to like analyze business, like just dry as fuck business problems and stuff. And like, yeah, no, I remember my final finds that interesting. Except my for final exam for my comp sci course uh, when I was over at uh, USC was. Just to write a program where there's like a, a painting company and they have these 20 different colors of paint and each I mean, color oh has God. its own price. Yeah. And you have to be able to estimate or the cost of paint the, of the paint that would go in a room of any dimension. Right. That's, and that was <laughs> like watching paint dry. That's but here's the thing. So, like, but I some was people so, love that kind of a problem. No, I mean, right. here's the thing. It's probably an interesting problem, you know, uh, but all of the problems throughout the whole semester were like this. And, and they were interesting to you. Because it was so boring, I actually didn't learn enough programming to even be able to solve that problem. But I think <laughs> right. the interesting thing here, and this, I had the same problem with, with school in general for a lot of these, the, the same thing, which is that if, if someone's like, hey, just go nail these boards for six hours, uh, I need you to just give me this pile of boards full of nails. Yeah, that's a chore. Then you're like, what that's the fuck? Chore. What's the point of this? And that's actually what every single instance of programming was and even doing art up until we started making games was. And that's what me. most people's jobs are like. Right, because you don't actually... Even, even in games, actually. Yeah, yeah. even in games. Yeah, because you got to... I mean, you, you really need to, like, buy into the overall vision of the thing. This is why also when you talk about just, like, being happy in a job or in a company or whatever else, the more you can actually get on board with the general company sort of like vision or the vision for whatever the project is that you're nailing nails to a board for, um, the happier your work will be because you see the bigger picture. And the point, you know, the point becomes way more, way more obvious and way more enjoyable, I think, at the end. It gives you reasons to do things. Yep. Yep. Which turns out to matter a lot. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Fweebers. Fweebers says, do you plan on any other designs for t-shirts if the first run is popular enough? This mm. question is probably a little bit older, but uh-huh. uh, because we just did a run of t-shirts. What characters would you consider putting on my chesticles? Mm. Which I think he means chest. I think that I think that's either unless, that unless or he, he has, something else. Yeah, unless he has hey. a fundamental misunderstanding of what a shirt is <laughs> and where it goes. Or it just has weird biology. Yeah. Also possible. Uh, yeah, I think we, we really want to do a run of... Uh, uh, t-shirts probably sometime in the next month which would be a combination of the usual butterscotch shenanigans tea that you guys have seen us wearing and then uh some character design stuff from crash in particular so we'll be yeah. doing some of those we're going to put together a little tool to sort of get both gauge interest as well as get people's info who are interested in that and hopefully actually be able to make that such that people can people can see and we can adjust the cost of stuff based on uh Based on quantity, since that's essentially how it works on our end as well. So the more yeah, shirts we, we get, to, the yeah, we have to buy stuff get. in bulk to be able to get good stuff, and yeah. so so it has to be planned out uh, ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Which does bring me to the uh, the idea of Flux Dave's plushies, mm-hmm. which yeah. I want to do. So we need to try to figure out how to make that happen. <laughs> I personally want a juice box. I personally myself. want a fat fish plushie. 
I want a juice box <laughs> backpack. No, Seth, a fat fish backpack where its mouth opens up and you shove stuff into its gaping maw. Yes, I want I want a fat fish backpack. I'm only to- down for that if you when you want to open it, you have to like punch it in the gut super hard. And it vomits <laughs> everything out. Yeah, and I also want a Flux Babes <laughs> ski mask. A ski mask with no mouth hole. Yeah, man, that would be. Interesting. So you mean your face is just Flux's face? Yeah, except for I guess for the eye holes. Yeah, but. I think I think without the glowing eyes, just I don't think it'll work. I think you have to have glowing eyes. <laughs> Who knows? Otherwise, like you just look like you're wearing a weird. Like, you'd be like Iron Man, mask. weird purple, and <laughs> yeah. Are think you about it supposed to be like a weird knockoff Iron Man, or what? Is yeah, if Iron Man had yeah. no lights behind his eyes, he'd look pretty funny because you could see his eyes, his little eyeballs dark, <laughs> darting around in there, you know, looking left and right. Yeah. It does make me wonder why his eyes are glowing. Because it's, it's cool. It's cool. It's the same yeah. reason that Flux's eyes are cool. That's true. Okay, this is a fun example. If you look at if you look at League of Legends champions, I noticed this. I think like eighty percent of them have glowing eyeballs. Oh, is that For right? No reason. Absolutely <laughs> no reason. Because glowing eyes so are cool. sweet. They look yeah. great. Yes. All right, oh, next we, question. We can retcon it though if we have to, but for 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 this discussion, it's just because it's cool. Yep. It's yes. Uh, next question comes from MC. What kind of music do you guys listen to when you're gaming? Not de- not developing, by the way. Gaming. Mm. Gaming. It I listen to whatever the, music the game has. Yeah, it depends on what, what the game is. If I'm playing like Terraria or something, then I'll just... I listen to a song on repeat for weeks at a time. So Fact. Yeah, it's super annoying. When That's just what I think. It helps, <laughs> it helps me focus, man. Just I'm like, I've, I've heard this before. Seth can just <laughs> dimly hear a song in the background for weeks. Uh, the worst, though, is Sam also likes to whistle along to the songs that he's listening no, to. No, I don't like to. I do it mindlessly. Or, yeah, he he does it. It's just a habit. What's so, the difference? But, uh, <laughs> but he'll only whistle the refrains. And so... When I'm when Sam's listening to the same song for three weeks, about every thirty seconds, I just hear the same tune whistled like four notes for, or so. for weeks and weeks. It's, it's my, like a, it's it's like a special, my, it's a special kind of hell. It's part of my strategy to drive Seth insane. Slowly. Yeah, it's working. Uh, I don't know. I, I usually yeah, I usually try to listen to the music in games because I think it's I think it's important. I think it's an important part of games. Yeah, especially yeah. Well, it's it's, it's typically designed for the game. You know. Yep. Um, sometimes I, I mean I have to say for for a lot of like first person shooters and like really heavy kind of action games it seems a lot it often seems pretty fucking arbitrary it's just like heavy heavy music to kind of <laughs> roughly set the mood you know right but it does um, set the mood it does set the mood but it, but if that's if the whole goal is basically to make you like pumped then I I'll listen to other stuff instead uh, but but a lot, I mean if, but if you play any of their games uh that that try to use music for ambiance of some sort and it's actually telling you something about the game while you play so well, you know, i actually on that note like i have to play i played amnesia a little bit yeah that terrifying game i actually yeah. had if i played other music it made it way less scary and it was much easier of course it did <laughs> so you play like put on some like celine dion or some shit in the background and then go deal with you know monsters yeah, I mean, honestly the music, the music should go it, it should enhance the game I mean, it's it's part of the game design, you know. It's supposed to, it's supposed to give the player the sense that the game designer wants the player to have while they're playing the game. Although so, when I'm playing Rocket League, I have to listen to "Turn Down for What." Yeah, but again, but Rocket League, it's just an action game. Like you don't, you know, there's need, no music during yeah. the gameplay. Yeah, so and and it wouldn't make any sense anyway unless it was super clever music, I guess, of some sort. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so I would say overall, if you're listening to other music while you're playing a game, either you're doing yourself a disservice. Or you're playing a game that doesn't have music appropriate for that game. In which case, it's totally fine. In which case, yeah. Do whatever you want. All right. I think we got probably time for two two more questions. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it. All right. Next question comes from Gafferman. How is the game dev scene in St. Louis? Ooh. Well, we got something coming up here actually this weekend. We got uh, the Global Game Jam coming up. Yeah. The Global Game Jam in St. Louis. It's at Umzel. And it's Friday through Sunday. It's 48-hour game building event. And the St. Louis scene actually has one of the biggest... Uh, global game jam sites in the country if not the world which is yeah. crazy and cool well technically every global game jam site is one of the biggest in the world true well <laughs> yeah but anyway even the smallest one even the smallest one i guess is to me the, the, su- the summary of of the scene is that it's extremely active but has no uh long has little longevity for the average person in it Right. Meaning, even though the game jams are some of the biggest game jams, they're almost entirely new people every time. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, there, yeah. One of the I big suppose. challenges is essentially like you want to because you want to you want to the general pipeline for getting someone into a community like this is you want to uh, expose yourself to them. You know. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's how you start most most relationships. Yeah, so you, <laughs> and the, the game jams of work as a really, really powerful onboarding tool, or they can, uh, where you, it's a, it's a sort of big ruckus thing. It's kind of like a little party. You well, know, yeah, and you days. get to, you get to show yourself that you can make a game. Right. So the game jams are sort of like the bedrock of the St. Louis game dev scene. And then from that, you'll get a very small portion of the people who actually go to the game jams. Uh, new people who are then like, oh, I can make games. I would like to do this. And now we have a bunch of resources for them to do that. So there's the usually every month there's a meetup that has some sort of technical talk. There was actually one yesterday about uh, how to ship games from the guy who made Cards and Castles. And I think quite a few people attended that. So there's there's usually like a monthly or bi-monthly sort of uh, educational talk about some particular aspect. People do postmortems, that sort of thing. And then during the holiday party, which just happened at Christmas, uh, everybody who made a game for the year gets a sweet, like, Boy Scouts badge sort of thing, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah. So it's uh, it's still on the rise, I would say. Like, we haven't, we don't have a, a huge contingent of, of people who are fully independently making games. We have a lot of people who are doing it on the side still. Uh, yeah. And part yeah, of our... there, there are a lot of people who, who are and have been making games for a while, but the, the number of people who are, who are, Full time turn that into a, like a career path is is quite small. Yeah, but that's, so I mean the, that's true. That's true for this kind of a hobby. That's just it's very 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 hard to do. Yeah, um, so, it's so kind we're of inevitable. Yeah, we're. I think in the in the future for the the St. Louis community, a big the biggest challenge is is not necessarily like we know how to get people in now. Uh, we know how to handle the sort of the growth of the of the sort of amateur. I think I think it's really closing the gap between or creating some sort of pipeline between. Being an amateur who's interested, and then being able to like fully go independent, uh, which is just that is a huge problem. It's just a hard thing to do. I mean, it's a hard thing to do regardless. So, well, it's also hard in St. Louis in particular because you know a lot of times the path would be I'm interested in games. I go to some game jams. I learn a bunch of skills. After a few years, I know enough and I can get hired by a game studio. Like that's a secure, safe route. And that route doesn't really exist in St. Louis. There's only a handful of studios, none of which anybody would consider like big. Well, and they're not uh, hiring a lot of people either. So you know. they're not hiring a lot. I mean, it's not like uh, what is it like Ubisoft Montreal or something that has 1,200 employees or whatever. Right. You know, we don't have anything like that here. So even the biggest studios are about 25, 30 people at most. Yeah. So it's got a very bootstrappy mentality, I think, because everyone's like, okay, well, if we're gonna do it here, we have to just do it you gotta just do yeah. it on your own you, yeah. you gotta and it's very risky you know you you need you'll need to you know quit your quit your day job and and uh live on savings and take a bunch of gambles and uh you know for most people that prospect is is rightfully very daunting and just well, not really an acceptable well, I mean, route. or completely impossible because yeah. racking it, up enough savings we're not being paid well in the first place and have lots of debt etc to then be able to do that is is not a common kind of situation mm-hmm. to be. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's something that's definitely it's tougher. I would say it's probably tougher in St. Louis actually yeah. to because, become a, become a professional game developer because you have to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. got to do it yourself. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but if you but if you are it is a good place though in terms of just kind of general camaraderie, right? Of kind of everyone being in the same difficult boat. Uh, yeah. It has excellent indie it spirit. Like oh, it, yeah. Yeah. like everybody's just like in the trenches in St. Louis and it's freaking awesome. Like the atmosphere is really fantastic and all these different events and stuff. Um and people are very passionate. Like you like because there's so many independent developers, you don't end up with like we we talked to a, a guy at GDC who was working at a large company who shall not be named and he was telling us stories about uh, for example, there's a guy. There's a guy he knows at this company who his job is to take the different poses that characters make and create 2D shadows of those poses, and he would do this 32,000 times per game. <laughs> right. Like that's just that's his thing. That's, that's what he does. Job. I mean, yeah, technically he's a professional game developer, you know, but he's probably not that pumped about it. <laughs> this, is, this is the uh, uh, this is the the guy who's nailing some boards. You know, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, and so, and so, in St. Louis, nobody is nailing boards. Everybody's building a house, right? Which is awesome. Um, okay, so last question is from Specchio. For each brother, what do you think you'll do after Butterscotch Shenanigans? Like when you retire, or if you couldn't do Butterscotch Shenanigans anymore? 
Ooh. We've actually gotten a very similar question to this fairly recently, if I recall. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. If I had to not do Butterscotch shenanigans anymore, uh, I would probably do Stas Studios. <laughs> so you which, would just continue making games just I would just, like, Yeah, because I mean, I would just... I don't know what circumstances would arise that would keep us from doing Butterscotch shenanigans stuff, but I just want to make games, so... Uh, I would just keep doing that, and if I couldn't do it under Butterscotch, then I would just do it some other way. Yeah, I think the the current understanding of Butterscotch is, as uh, from a public standpoint, is as a game studio, and I think we do have some have some dreams and some ambitions for the future being more uh, a game studio, but but a bit more uh, more of an entertainment company in a sense, uh, producing a lot of different stuff. So I think as far as doing it after the current iteration of Butterscotch shenanigans, that's what I think. Uh, that's what I would like to do is actually just build this more of like an entertainment uh, empire sort of a thing as opposed to just just the Vidja James. Yeah, but we still want to keep it small. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be it's going to be hard, but we'll try to do it. Uh, OK, guys, I think that's all the time we have for this week. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And again, if you want to get your questions on future podcasts, just head over to podcast.bscotch.net. And ask away, and you can also vote for other people's questions. And otherwise, we now have a subreddit over at reddit.com slash r slash Crashlands. Uh, so you can join the Crashlands community there. We also have forums at forums.bscotch.net, which are currently on lockdown because we're getting... Because <laughs> you maniacs on. wouldn't stop repeating the same questions over and over again. Maniacs. You goofs. Uh, use the search feature. <laughs> but uh, that, that will be turned back on. Eventually. Toward the end, in a while. Yeah. At some point. Um, and otherwise, we will see you all next week. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>